This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me across Skype is, you know, again, it's a great pleasure to have so many awesome folks around the world um, who are Heat fans. And one of them I have on the Skype line today is Mark Searby, who is an author of an Al Pacino, perhaps the definitive Al Pacino book. I'll say that for you, Mark. The, the definitive Pacino book, Al Pacino, The Movies Behind the Man. He's also a film critic and music critic um, for places like uh, Heat Magazine over in, in the UK, you know, the massively popular Heat Magazine. Freelancers, radio, film criticism, music criticism, all over the place. But reached out because of his untamable love for Pacino and, in fact, that his favorite (laughs) Pacino performance is in Heat. And so I am super excited to have Mark on the line with us. Mark, thank you so much for being part of One Heat Minute. Well, thank you for having me on, Blake. I mean, that is quite an introduction. I really, I don't think I can do myself justice now that you've <laughs> bigged me up so big, you know, so much. Um, I'm slightly worried about how it's going to cross. But no, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, uh, I, I have released a book, Al Pacino Movies Behind the Man. It is a uh, an in-depth book. It's nearly 700 pages about every single film that the man has made. Uh, it's got nearly 60 exclusive interviews in there. So for Heat, I interviewed Wes Sude. He's oh. got some great stories. Uh, I'm not going to give them away, um, but he's got some great, great stories. Um, but yes, uh, I I have loved, not loved in the sense of, you know, I, I generally love them. Like I love my girlfriend, but I've loved Al Pacino as an actor since, oh, blimey. Probably my mid-teens, so around 94, something like that. I, I remember constantly watching Scent of a Woman, constantly watching it, like every weekend. And then I slowly decided, right, I'm going to buy his films. This was at the time of VHS, so I spent money buying his films and then transfer, and then obviously getting rid of those and buying the DVDs. And then somebody, an old editor of mine said, look, you know more about Al Pacino than anybody. You should write a book. And that's where it started. And <laughs> that was three years ago. And it's, uh, I mean, the book came out in the summer. Fantastic response. I mean, so I, I was blown away by the response. I really was. I wasn't sure if anybody was ever going to uh, take to it or even the incredible way by it have been taken aback by oh mark i'm losing you huge labor of love going because i will put out a edition a third edition man's still making films you know we've we've films to come from him but um yes you were saying that heat um before i started writing the book i always said sensible woman was my favorite al pacino film 
and then I went and saw Heat in the cinema here in the UK in London's West End on a an original print, a 70 millimeter print, and it changed my mind. I said, no, this is the definitive Al Pacino uh, performance. And when you couple that with De Niro and John Voight and Val Kilmer and you know direct man. I just it changed my mind completely. I came away that night, uh, like I think it finished near bef- just before midnight, and I, yeah, I've changed my mind completely. This is the film. See, it's so funny because, like, even when I was just looking at the people that you've interviewed, Mark, for your mm. novel, it's really like when you say a definitive Pacino performance, it, like, and I agree with you, I, I'm right up there. But even just glancing. You know, interviewing Lowell Bergman for The Insider. You know, you interviewed yeah. Jerry Schultzberg for The Panic in Needle Park. You know, these, mm-hmm. like, this guy's resume is intimidating to his own self. You know, it's like when Pete, it's the same, <laughs> it's the same battle that, you know, the, the real phenomenal and, and enduring sort of uh, performance have. You know, you say, oh, what's the best De Niro performance? And, you know, I absolutely think Neil McCall is up there. But I'm also, mm. I, I'm sure I could equally be argued for about three other performances. Same with Streep across her entire career. Pacino here yes. too. It's, it's you know, it, for a, such a phenomenal actor and across, you make me forget about how good, I just remembered how good he was in Panic in Needle Park. Like, holy yes. dooly is he good. And, and yeah, yeah. Do, do, like yeah. Dog Day, rolls straight from Dog Day, Serpico, Godfather, Godfather Part 2. Man, what an incredible career! But no, look, I'm um, folks. Uh, I, I'm lucky. I'm I'm looking forward to checking out Mark's book. But we're we're here right now in the forty sixth minute of heat. This is the forty sixth episode. Thank you so much for being a part of it right now. And if you're a first time listener to One Heat Minute, welcome. You've only got forty five episodes to catch up on. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. This is the show where we examine Michael Mann's masterpiece, Heat, one minute at a time. And the minute that uh, I've chosen today to chat to Mark with is the moment of the film where uh, we have Al Pacino arriving in Koreatown uh, to meet with Albert's brother, um, who's played by Tone Loke. We would have seen Albert, um, Ricky Whittle. Um, uh, you, you saw him some time ago uh, in the film now. We've got plenty of minutes in. But really, the the, the investigation up until the, the the following moments of this film is completely lost. So here we get to see Vincent sort of strutting up to Koreatown at like 2 a.m. in the morning, um, quite frustrated at the time. And and we'll get to dive into more, some more details. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play that minute for us right now, Mark and I, and then we're going to come back with you guys and we're going to talk about it in just a minute. So thank you. Give me all your money. Tell us one day you're gonna get smoked with that shit. Oh, ain't you fool. Coming in alone, sending through. Yeah, Yeah. 
Vincent. Hey, Vincent is my brother, Richard. Richard, Vincent. Richard. So what do you got for me? All right. A good minute, Mark. Yes. It's one of those minutes where, as we heard, there's very little dialogue, yet it is Pacino walking with anger and with vigor and with purpose. And, you know, you kind of think that walking in a film is probably quite easy. We do it every day. It's it's pretty simple. But when you have the intensity of an actor like Pacino, it changes the entire structure of a film because all of a sudden you're going, wow, okay, this guy is really after these people. He clearly is completely pissed off with them as well. And that's what you get. As soon as that starts, that moment, you're like, whoa, he is angry, seriously angry. And I think that is one of those moments. You know, we see it throughout the film that he's angry. He's always angry. But uh, (laughs) I think that, you know, this is the first time where we see him on his own, pissed off, and he's ready to. I, I mean, he's not going to kill somebody, but it's close. Well, I, th- I I love what you said there with his vigor and purpose. And for me here, he's in his car alone. It's got that thumping beat, and as his head's down and he's walking up, he's. I think in that moment he's becoming the Vincent that's about to go into a club at two a.m. and get a result. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. think so. For me, yeah. a lot of the time when people have criticized the Pacino performance because of like the tones, the shifts, the, the mania. Um, I think this moment's such a great moment to examine and say, okay, look, you can look at the polls in isolation um, or look at the minutes of a film in isolation, for example, but look at the, <laughs> look at the polls of his uh, character in isolation and you miss the connective tissue. And I think that this, this is that great moment where it's a bridge between this fierce loner um, who is probably got some some weird introversion issues when he's when he's by himself? But this is the guy who's now about to go and peacock again and 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 put on a bit of a bit of a performance. And so the the kind of cool thing is you get a little bit of behind the curtain. He sees this bouncer, um, and this bouncer knows that he's you know he's frequenting this establishment. They clearly know he's a cop because he's allowed to to waltz through um, without yeah. having to go through the metal detector. But I, I just loved, you know, you, you sort of get that little behind the scenes moment with him there with the, with the bouncer, but he's all business. You're right. The minute he comes out of that elevator, all of the gearing up, all of the car ride, all of that potential frustration, he is ready to rock and roll from that minute. And, and the, it moves with pace um, him getting into this club and, 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 and it moving along. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to that bouncer thing, the interesting thing about that is, obviously, he says to him, uh, give me all your money. And clearly the recognition is there that, hey, it's Vincent Hanna. So do we determine from that that Vincent Hanna has been to this nightclub before or that he knows this bouncer from before? Now, if he knows the bouncer from before, why does he know him? You know, there's so many questions, even in that brief section. And and you think a great question. And look, I'm going to, if you haven't yet, and I hope that you have, listened to our uh, our sneak peek of the Pasquale Booger episode, which is upcoming, um, or you're not a fan of the Movie Crypt podcast, you should be. Go and subscribe right now with Joe Lynch, who was a guest on a massive double episode that we did. 
Pascal Buber talked right now in this scene um, that at the 20th anniversary when Al Pacino revealed that Vincent Hanna was originally a character who was going to cop cocaine, um, who was on cocaine, he cops cocaine in this scene. So, Mark, you're absolutely spot on that originally as it was conceived, there's some great questions, just an additional bit of flavor that without this, even without the cocaine, even though that now it's just a massive hypothetical that hangs over this performance in the film... I love exactly that in a really great film is sometimes you meet a character and you don't even know their name. We don't even know this guy's name, but he's that little bit of texture, a little bit of flavor, a little bit of insight into our character that he does know some strange characters. He does frequent nightclubs at 2am to interrogate rats. He does. He yeah. may be doing some <laughs> cheeky things on the side that he shouldn't be doing to to sort of solve any of the weird issues that he has being ant, uh, being completely antisocial. So yeah, I you know, really really fascinating stuff and I love that exactly like you said. How does he know this guy? What is the kind well, the, of guy that knows yeah. this guy? Yeah, well obviously we we'll take that immortal line from Taxi Driver, the freaks come out at night. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it, realistically Vincent Hanna is a freak because as you rightly point out he has two sides to him early on in the film we see him he's a family man you know he's there he's dancing with justine uh he's he's taking care of his stepdaughter obviously played by natalie portman and you think okay this is this is a different policeman you know this is not the standard cliche policeman and then i think with this moment as you rightly point out like everything changes and you realize okay he is I guess to a certain degree, a standard cliched cop who is on the take um, and, as we've now found out, on drugs. But there is something different about this performance than the standard cliched police that we see in virtually every single film. Um, you know, it as I said, it is that intensity that Pacino brings to it. And as soon as he walks into that club, listen to what the music, listen to the music. It's House of Pain. Yeah. Now, is that, you know, I mean, that's such a clever choice. Yes. Because the the lines in that song refer to, um, you know, the, uh, um, like a pulsating person, not pulsating person, but, you know, somebody who is pushing their way through and it doesn't matter. And, you know, the, the lines in the song, we're going to swear, we don't care about it. And that perfectly fits with the strides that Vincent Hanna is doing in the scene. So as soon as he walks in, you can feel the the beats actually matching when he puts his foot down as well. <laughs> and then we've got the lyrics matching him as well, because as you said, by that time, the uh, the drugs are in his system. He's he's doing it. I mean, not to give anything away, but the next see, uh, the next minute, he pu uh, puts some chewing gum into his mouth and starts chewing on it, which is obviously you know a great tactic to stop him chewing his face. Um, <laughs> but it is one of those moments where you think everything has just lined up as soon as that draw uh, that drawbridge or whatever it's called for the uh, for the lift opens, the music starts, bang, and you know it's House of Pain because of how they sing. Um, and then it matches every single moment all the way through. And even when Albert turns around, you can kind of see him go, oh, shit, he's here. But but this is the question I want to ask you, Mark, and, 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 I, and I love this, is, you know, we've obviously, you're a massive Pacino fan. I'm a, a massive Pacino fan and a Heat fan. You're like a, you know, world championship level. But if we watch, the, <laughs> because we've watched this film a lot, in this moment, yeah. we... It's, we struggle to, and this is what I like about this process is, in this moment, Albert is, he 
we think Albert has been talking out of his ass. Like the entire interaction that he has, my brother, my brother Richard's going to talk to you. Like we've been through that yeah. moment and we're going, there's no way conceivably that Richard is going to drop the lead. Now we've seen this movie so many times that we know that Tone Loke delivers that. This slick ain't no joke, man. And we're just like, oh yeah. my God, like this is the, he picks up on like the tiniest needle yeah. in this house of pain, Koreatown dungeon nightclub of a haystack. And <laughs> it leads us into what is the rest of this amazing crime epic. But just think of the guy who already thinks that Albert is completely talking out of his ass, that's willing yeah. at 2 a.m. to go to Koreatown to try and talk to his brother who was in yeah. Phoenix. Like, you just keep going, and you're, it, oh, that's what I like to keep going back, and you have a look at the level of commitment and or desperation on on his side mm. um, for that, for, for, for uh, being able to, con you know, being able to conquer, being able to solve this problem, solve the riddle. Um, so yeah, it's really on the criminal side, you see the extremity with which Neil will go to, to make things be executed to perfection. And if it means killing some cops or killing security guards or whatever he has to do, he'll do it. But here, I think it's a really yeah. great illustration of Vincent because yeah, like we all know what's coming up. Anyone who's listening to this podcast, most likely you've seen Heat. I know one person, um, uh, one of our guests, Rose Powell, um, has not seen Heat and is going to wait to watch the whole movie until after she's listened to the whole show. So it's going to be really interesting wow. for you, Rosie, listening. So if you are, thank you. Um, but uh, really strange for me to distance myself, but it's only in talking to you now, I'm like, this lead was a dead end. You know, we only yeah. know it's important and we know it's not a dead end because we're we're watching yeah. it but it, it's the, it's he's dealing with it like it's not every every potential lead could be something really strange though when you think about it yeah and also if you think about um the amount of films and the amount of tv shows that have police detectives like this do you think they would have followed that lead up that lead that scene that we we're talking yeah. about now would not have appeared in 99% of TV shows. It would have appeared in something like the wire guaranteed 100%. because as we, yeah, it leads on to something, you know, it is, you kind of think it's not an important scene, but it is, it's an intelligent scene. And this is the thing with man is that he, he makes you, he makes intelligent films for people who want to what we class as lean in to the film you know you want to know about it you're not sat there going okay give me the, all the information so i don't have to take it all in but this is what happens and i think you going back to it saying uh it's a it's a desperation from hannah i think it is i think it's a desperation of a man um for two reasons one he clearly wants to take down Macaulay. There's no two ways about it. And if it means going to a club at 2 a.m., that's what he's going to do. However, I think it is also more desperation of a man who doesn't want to be at home because by yeah. that time he's fallen out with Justine. Uh, the stepdaughter has, has kind of disappeared. We know obviously what comes later on, but she's kind of disappeared. He doesn't want to be at home with his own thoughts. Yeah. So if that means he is going to be in a club at 2 a.m., doing drugs but also getting the results he's going to do that yeah, and he... then he's going to be up at 6 a.m to go to the office and say i was in the club at 2 a.m where were you and they're going to say well <laughs> we were all in bed you know why are you chasing these non-existent leads <laughs> vincent we are normal we are normal people yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> and, and I think his guys are, are wily enough to know that that's just what he's willing to do. But yeah, it's really, you know, there, there's a whole, there's a whole stack of, um, you know, and, and this is what, what's so powerful. I mean, the, the central cafe scene, which we're going to get to in the middle of this, in, in the middle of this project is, is such an, such an actor's lesson. Uh, from both these guys, just on gesture and and getting a getting the physicality of a character, and also you know let, conveying that on screen. But I I just love the little touches early on in this scene more than anything. I love his his touching of his tie just before he comes around the corner. I love how he's yeah. opening and closing his hands. There's a there's a pace. Um, there's there's a you know I love the word you said vigor. There's a vigor with that, um, and then there is a little bit of that cool sort of kooky relaxation where he's like, "Give me all your money," and he's a he's a bit more relaxed. But then as soon as he gets up that elevator, there's intent, there's purpose. He's carving his way through. He's the weirdest looking guy in this what looks like a completely African American crowd at two a.m. Young people excited, <laughs> happily listening to House of Pain, wearing terrible oversized nineties clothes, um, and all brown. There's not a person who's not wearing brown except for Vincent in this entire club. So, yeah, it's a really interesting sort of um, uh, great visual as far as what's organic. He's very steely. Everything else is very sort of warm and um, and nice to be there, yeah. but he's none of that. Um, um, and yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, that's what I, I, I think I can, I can almost agree with you, um, that this is the best Pacino performance because, um, so much of the detail that he puts into Hannah for me is so rewarding on going back for exactly scenes like this. It doesn't have to be the gimme all you got, and it doesn't have to be the great asses. Um, for me, yeah. it's the, it's these little, just the, you know, uh, you know, this is the guy at the peak of his powers. There's no, he's not just in one lane. He's not in one gear. He's, he's doing, he's got a, this is the whole person. And I wonder if it, that, what, that's what makes, um, makes him so good as Hannah is that, you know, and, and it's the same with Lowell Bergman. He's like follow up performance in the insider. It's like, yeah, you see how good he is and you, you start to think, is he really like this guy? Like, is he really like yeah. a Vincent Hanna? And then you see him yeah. do a Lowell Bergman and you're like, oh no, he's not. He's not like that. Yeah. <laughs> but he's just good. He just acts really well. Well, I mean, if we talk about the performance, let's go all the way back briefly to uh, The Godfather Part 2, mm. which was not shot in sequence. And uh, when I interviewed the producer, Gray Fredrickson, for my book, he said... Because it wasn't shot in sequence, um, Pacino had to know the headspace that Michael Corleone was going to be at at that time of filming. So whether it was uh, whether they shot the early part, you know, where obviously he uh, where Frido, you know, gets killed, yes, yes. he has to be in that space. But then later on when they're filming, he has to be in the headspace of being quite jovial or something else like that. And Greg Fredrickson said, you will never see an actor be able to do that, to know the headspace of the character when it's not being shot in sequence. And I think that's what we get with Pacino's performance in this film. He's clearly understanding the headspace of Vincent Hanna and where he needs to be at these moments in time, yet it's not being shot in sequence. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> starting filming this? Michael Mann says, right, OK, we're going to start quite easily. We're going to start with the end sequence. And you think, what? How is this possible? You know, I mean, it, but this is the brilliance of obviously an actor like Pacino, also De Niro, you know, but De Niro does it as well. But um, I mean, it's it's 
one of those moments that just it boggles the mind to think an actor can find that character's headspace and know where he's going to be within six months of the story arc but that's going to be the first day's day of filming it's yeah. in, it's incredible to think of something like that um and but I, I think that's, that's what suits maybe him to the ground with hannah though because hannah is a performer so you know yeah. hannah has a a face for i think you know some of the more sincere and honest and sort of deep cuts who who, who hannah is are those scenes with justine you know the scenes with justine where yeah. he's where he's not you know he's he, there's no performance in it and then what's great is that is that he realizes this beautiful halfway point maybe it's the realest we get to see him in this in the in the cafe scene uh, across from Macaulay when he kind of meets his match there's that fantastic sort of um candor that's happening but i think what's great about this moment it's almost like a mini essay on Pacino's method like he's he's gearing yeah. you know Hannah is like he knows who his audience is going to be and his audience are usually rats or snitches or potential suspects and mm. for all of those people they get the completely out of control over the top in your face Hannah um, <laughs> and and his crew play straight man like they're all playing Dean Martin and he's playing Jerry Lewis and so and, and but but it's very intentional like and these scenes are the the scenes of the bread and butter, the foundations where you go, yeah, it's a performance. Like he's performing yeah. Vincent Hanna as this manic psycho to these guys to keep them on their toes and to hopefully yeah. be unpredictable. Um, and yeah. then you get these fantastic little windows into that. Cause you're like, Oh, this is behind the curtain. Like, that's why I think this whole sequence, uh, you know, uh, you know, later on, I talk more to Pascal Buber about this, this actual sequence being a difficult scene. Uh, for them to continue the pace, you know, heat has heat bubbles along with a rhythm that many many films would struggle to keep with. You know, it's a it's a it's a hundred and seventy odd minutes long, including the credits. And every time you you've watched it, it feels like you've been watching ninety minutes. You know, it it flies. <laughs> and so, what's cool about this scene is that it does so much, but it maintains that sort of relentless pace that this movie has and it never feels like it's in a rush but at the same time it never feels like it slows down you don't have a chance to hold your breath there's just scene after scene wave after wave but yeah that's that's you know maybe something to read into your something to read in your book or i'd love to you know talk to you about it, mark is like this little this hannah's performance pacino playing vincent hannah playing the different versions of vincent hannah it's like bruce wayne batman you know, yeah, it's like yeah. which which one is, is he going to put on? Yeah, I I do wonder if the um the actual ex Chicago detective was anything like Hannah. So you know the the whole story is based on a story that actually happened to an ex Chicago detective. Did you know this, Blake? Yes, I did. But please, yeah. I, I love I love when anyone brings this up simply because it's so amazing. When you think about if you've ever had an idea, if you've ever had a thought, you know. A, a desire to do something. I I love this because it's something that pays off such a long time after the actual event happened. So yeah, please. Well, please this is it. the thing, you know, I mean, Chuck Adamson is the character who Vincent Hanna is based on. He was an ex Chicago detective um, and became friends with Michael Mann. Uh, I think it was through um, conducting research for Starsky and Hutch initially, but then it went on to Miami Vice and Adamson had started to talk to Mann about different things, uh, different, um, 
you know, cases that he'd worked on. And one of them was basically the entire centerpiece for Heat. So he was involved in this real life hunt for a criminal called Neil McCauley yes. um, in the 1950s and 60s in Chicago. And they actually had this sit down in this restaurant. And I mean, I'm trying to find the quote here. Yeah. So, um, Neil McCauley replied back to Adamson and said, uh, after Adamson said, look, I'm going to stop you no matter the cost. Neil McCauley replied back and said, well, look at the other side of the coin. I might have to eliminate you. And then a year later, that's actually what happened in that Adamson took him down in a supermarket, no less. <laughs> but it actually happens. And as you said, you know, man's formulating all of these ideas all of the time. Um, and he had written a script for Heat in 1983 and then put it in a drawer. And went off to work on a few other bits, um, and then he went off to do the heat, uh, the keep, which obviously wasn't a great success. <laughs> then eventually, obviously, he went to do LA Takedown, and that wasn't a massive success. And somehow he managed to convince people, look, I can do this better. I can do this much better. Okay, uh, yes, Mr. Man, we'll give you the money, but who are you going to get in the lead roles? Well, you know how we had two unknowns in L.A. Takedown? I'm thinking in this we'll have Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. <laughs> and you, you give me $60 million and final yeah. cut. $60 million and final cut. And and I'm going to get the two guys who, you know, two of America's greatest living actors all together pretty much at the peak of their powers um, yeah. In a movie where they're where they where they're mano y mano, literally, you know, living out the conversation that people have been having about who's the best, who's the best uh, forever, yes. and 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 they go in the money. But that's you know, there's so much, there's so much in that. And he, um, Hannah, from from accounts and what I can read, and I know there's from everything that I've read, there's no name that's been attributed directly to this person, but Hannah. Is absolutely based on Adamson in as much as yeah. the story, but there's an yeah. FBI agent that Hannah was actually based on for not only takedown but for heat, um, and he he was very much the kind of guy who had a a, a very uh, um, extrovert personality and used uh, used uh, uh, his sort of verbose personality to manipulate interactions with criminals. So he would yeah. be, act crazy um, and, and, and put them off because he wasn't acting like a cop. So to speak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's an it, not not all Adamson. Absolutely, Adam. I think Adamson was a little bit more measured than the Vincent Hanna. You know, the performative <laughs> mode. Maybe Adamson's that quiet guy. But absolutely right. You know, this was meant to be another another tidbit. Potentially originally written to be shot in Chicago, and man picked it up and plonked it in L.A. Um, to sort of uh, to 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 take it to the other side of the country and see if it changed it up. But yeah, gestated for many years based on that real interaction that and that great conversation that we're going to get up to. Um, yeah. But, but look, Mark, I mean, I think that is, um, that is absolutely, um, uh, uh, if, if that's not a testament enough folks to read Mark's book, this guy knows his Pacino and knows his heat and loves it. Mark, thank you so much. Um, for being a part of the show, this minute is is uh, I I have to cut us off now, um, because it we're about to lead into some 
thrilling minutes and Tone Loke being a special guest. You're a music reviewer. You would love a bit of Tone Loke special guest uh, starring in this as well. Um, but look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep Mark around for this minute, but I am going to ask while we're recording. So you guys know, Mark, would you love to come back? Cause I've, I've had a, a thrill chatting to you today, Mark, could you come back and talk some more Pacino with us at some stage during the one heat minute uh, epic that we're on? Yeah, absolutely. Look, any time you want me to come and talk about Al Pacino, <laughs> I'm going to be there. This is the thing. And you want me to come and talk about heat? Well, you don't need to twist my arm, Blake. Any single minute that you want me to come and talk about, I will happily do. And we can examine the master craftsmanship that is Michael Mann's heat and the performances of everybody in it. You know, Pacino, De Niro, Kilmer, Sizemore. Voight, Williamson, Stuart. God, my voice is going. There's so many people. But I would love to come back. Absolutely. Great. Look, guys, Mark Searby, if you're listening to this on iTunes or one of your other podcasting providers, jump over to oneheatminute.com. When you check out the episode link for the 46th minute, you'll check out a little bit about Mark. You'll see Mark's website and you'll also see his book and where to buy it. You can buy it digitally or on hard copy if you like that new book smell, which I do. Um, you can definitely do that. But Mark, thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. We will see you again. I've loved this. There is so much we can talk about, but I think we've got to get to that next minute. Folks, I've been Blake Howard. Thank you so much again for subscribing um, to One Heat Minute. Please rate and review us um, on your podcast provider. We would love that. It helps get us out there and um, recommend us uh, to folks. The website is oneheatminute.com. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our web design. Thank you to Paul Davies for our music. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of One Heat Minute.